Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist. How's it going, everyone? I'm your host, Grace Hobayan, and in this episode, I talk with Dr. Kelly Tyler. We discuss her unique journey from a career in obstetrics and gynecology to a career in dermatology at The Ohio State University. Without further ado, see you on the skin side. All right, welcome back to the DIGA podcast. I'm here with Dr. Kelly Tyler, and she's going to introduce herself. Hi, I'm Kelly Tyler. I'm an associate professor of dermatology at Ohio State University, and I have two specialty areas. One is allergic contact dermatitis, and the other is vulvar disease. All right. Well, Dr. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I'm super excited to have you. And so you're currently an attending dermatologist, but you didn't go into dermatology right out of medical school. You went to OB-GYN first. So uh, tell our listeners, why did you, cho- uh, why did you choose to pursue OB-GYN initially? And um, what other specialties did you consider throughout medical school? And at what point in your medical school journey did you uh, decide to apply to OB-GYN? Sure. So I have always been interested in women's health. I was a biology major in undergrad, and actually one of my specialty interests within that field was reproductive biology. So I think going into medical school, I sort of had an idea that I would do something related to women's health. Um, I decided fairly early on uh, I wanted to do OBGYN, so probably pretty early in my third year. I liked the idea of OBGYN because A, as I mentioned, I was interested in women's health and reproductive biology, but also it was a field that offered a variety of experiences. For instance, you wouldn't just be in the clinic. Um, You also had office procedures. You also had time in the OR doing surgeries. You were doing deliveries. And it was a nice specialty that offers continuity with patients because once they establish with you, usually they come in for you know, annual exams, then they, you might care for them during a pregnancy, um, and then care for them through menopause um, and beyond. So it was kind of a nice field where you got to do a lot of continuity of care. Yeah. And when you got to OB, OBGYN residency and, um, you know, you started a practice following that, um, tell our listeners a little about your residency experiences and what your general OBGYN practice was like following that. Yeah, so I, I actually really enjoyed my residency in OBGYN. I went to University of Alabama at Birmingham in Birmingham, Alabama, and it was a really intense program, I would say, because they made they had a lot of gynecologic oncology, and you spent a lot of time in the OR you know, they had high expectations. A lot of people who went there had intentions to go to fellowship. And so uh, those are pretty competitive, especially um, things like gynecologic oncology. So I, I really enjoyed my experience. I think the, the nice thing, and it's a little different than dermatology or internal medicine residency, is that it was a lot of teamwork. So we usually had a, a senior chief resident a fourth year, a third year, and then you would have a first and second year, say, on a labor and delivery team. So you got to learn a lot from your chief residents. You worked to, you know, you worked well together. And it was, it was really team-based 
care for the patient and it's also a lot of on-the-job learning so I would tell students who are interested in OBGYN if you really learn best by doing a lot of hands-on things uh, you know enjoy working in teams OBGYN residency is is a really cool specialty um, and it also affords a variety of experiences throughout training so you do have some clinical rotations where you're mainly just in clinic but you also have gynecologic oncology urogynecology uh, labor and delivery so you're you're rotating probably every one to two months on on a different specialty area within OBGYN. As far as practice I did um, I did consider um, doing a reproductive endocrinology fellowship, um, but I did have a National Health Service Corps commitment. So that is a scholarship where after you finish your residency, you go out to an underserved area and practice. So I ended up taking a job in Mississippi at South Haven, Mississippi, just outside of Memphis with some of my some of the other former residents who had graduated from my program. So I practiced there. Um, in private practice a few days a week, and then I went down to a community health center um, and and saw underserved patients, so either uninsured or underinsured patients, maybe pregnant patients who didn't have their Medicaid yet, um, and I would care for them at the beginning of the pregnancy, and I did that two days a week. Then I moved to Columbus because my husband, um, He's an electrophysiologist, so he was in cardiology fellowship here in Columbus, and so after I practiced in Mississippi for two years, I moved up to Columbus and, and joined a, pri a private practice uh, near Grant Hospital, and so I there I did general OBGYN as well. Um, I would do surgeries one morning a week. Uh, I would see patients in the office, and then obviously you cover labor and delivery and call. Depends on how many partners you have. It's usually about one weekday a week, and then one weekend a month of call. Okay, so when you came to uh, Columbus and you continued on with your OBGYN practice, uh, you eventually decided to pursue a dermatology research fellowship at OSU. So what kind of factors motivated you to pursue that research fellowship, and uh, what kind of research did you do during your fellowship? So it was a little bit of a roundabout path. Um, I actually, when I approached um, Dr. Zyrus, who was the residency director at the time here, um, about dermatology, it, was, it wasn't really ever my intention to do a dermatology residency or switch to dermatology. Um, mm -hmm. the, the reason I did that is um, I approached him because I was getting a lot of referrals for patients from uh, one of our local private dermatology practices downtown for vulvar disease. And um, I, I tell people this a lot, especially our residents in both GYN and dermatology, that most gynecology programs, you don't really get a lot of training in vulvar disease. We're very lucky to have a multidisciplinary clinic here with, with me and Dr. Bartholomew, who's one of the gynecologists, um, gynecology professors. But most programs, I, I would say, are our vulvar disease training consisted of probably one lecture a year, and then we had a, a physician who specialized in vaginitis, but not necessarily vulvar disease. So I was actually just approaching Dr. Zyrus to see if I could do some non-accredited training. So just to learn a little bit more about skin disease, because as you may know, as medical students, um, unless you decide to pursue dermatology, you kind of 
you get a, you're a little bit more limited in in your exposure as opposed to something like internal medicine or psychiatry. So I didn't get a lot of exposure to dermatology in my medical school training, and so I just wanted to learn more about the medications you used, how to use topicals, maybe um, a little bit more about the different vulvar diseases. And I was going to actually take that back to my practice and, and kind of make a little um, niche for myself within within the community to help with some of the vulvar patients. Um, when I approached him, he didn't think that I would get enough exposure that he could put together a meaningful enough experience for me to really learn enough um, to be helpful for the patients. So he suggested that I actually apply for a second residency um, in order to get some comprehensive dermatology training. And in the end, um, you know, having been through the experience, I realized he was right. But when he told me that, I thought that was a little bit crazy <laughs> because, you know, here I was, I'd been out in practice for, I think at the time I approached him, I had been out for about four, four and a half years. And I just thought, well, that's kind of silly. It, and it's, it's competitive. Um, you know, it's not just easy to get a dermatology residency, but he convinced me that um, he thought that would be the best way for me to really help my patients. And um, that if I didn't match, I, I would just go back to my job um, with my OBGYN practice. So I, um, long story short, I mean, I ended up applying for dermatology and then I did a lot of time at the free clinic because it was in the evening after I would get off work. So I, I would work with the chair who was Dr. Bechtel and then Dr. Zyrus, who was the residency director at the time, um, worked with them. I wrote review papers. I spent time in resident clinic. I took some vacation days to come over and kind of spend some time in clinic. So, you know, I really went all in once I decided I was going to do it um, to really try to be successful in that endeavor. And then when I did match, um, I had a year that I basically could either continue practicing OBGYN or, or try to do something else because I had already obviously done an intern year for OBGYN, which would count. I didn't have to repeat my intern year. Um, and it just so happens that the research fellow um, that they had matched, uh, something happened and they um, they backed out. So they actually had an opening um, as for a research fellow. And I thought that was going to be the perfect way for me to really get my feet wet get to know everybody uh, in the, in the, what was the division at the time, to get to know everybody in the dermatology division um, and, you know, get involved in some research. So what the research fellowship entailed was, um, it's a little bit different now, it's restructured, but at the time I did it, um, you, it was Dr. Henry Wong, and he was a specialist in psoriasis and cutaneous lymphoma, also, he did a lot of clinical trials, especially for those two skin diseases. So um, most of the week was spent seeing patients and doing clinical trial visits. Um, we had uh, ongoing trials for hydradenitis, uh, psoriasis. Um, we had a new topical for cutaneous lymphoma. So I did most of those research visits. Um, and then when he had psoriasis clinic, I would act as... Um, essentially like one of the residents would in psoriasis clinic seeing patients. And um, the same thing for the cutaneous lymphoma clinic. That was one full day a week. And um, I would be in charge of you know, seeing patients with uh, both of the, the hematologists who was working with us at the time and Dr. Wong. Um, and also we had a research database, um, a bio repository that we would uh, collect samples for. So um, I was in charge of that log and keeping track of, of all the samples. 
I know you said earlier that at the beginning of this process, you really weren't intending to go into a full-blown dermatology residency until you found out a little bit more about certain vulvar conditions. So I'm kind of curious as to what that process was for you when you were applying. Can you walk our listeners through what your particular experiences were with the actual application process itself, especially as someone who um, has already gone through OBGYN residency and already had a practice, now kind of going back and entering the match process again? Yeah, uh, it was interesting, and I, I would say comical at times. Um, I believe it or not, I've, uh, you know, I graduated from medical school in 2003. So I did all of my residency applications on paper. And um, oh. so, <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, you know, there was this token you have to get for ERAS to apply um, for residency. And so uh, the first challenge was even, so I went to Tulane uh, in New Orleans for medical school. And so I actually had to call, uh, call Tulane and they told me to talk to the graduate medical education office. I, I talked to them and it, it took several phone calls to get them to understand that I was actually trying to apply for residency again and not applying for a fellowship. <laughs> and it took a, it took a, a bit to, to get a token to actually even start the application process. So um, that was a little bit interesting. Um, luckily, uh, the other piece of the puzzle, you know, with all your scores and, and uh, you know, all of your experiences and everything from med school and residency, um, luckily, my residency director, Dr. Kilgore, who um, was my OBGYN, res OBGYN residency director, had made us all put together this portfolio where we put all of our scores and CV and, you know, pretty much everything in a, in a binder. So when Dr. Zyrus had asked me to kind of bring my scores for him to look at and, and everything from medical school, uh, that was a, that was a bit daunting, but I, luckily because Dr. Kilcore made me put this, um, put this binder together, actually, I was able to find everything. Um, so that, that was a little bit, uh, interesting, um, that the, the other interesting part about the dermatology match, it's really, really different, um, than a lot of other matches, um, uh, because it's so competitive, everyone applies pretty much to every program. So that creates a challenge. Now that I'm the associate residency director, I see the challenges on the residency director end. Um, but it creates a challenge for, for med students because it's expensive for one thing to apply to that many programs. And, um, it can kind of be difficult to show that you're interested in specific programs because they know everybody's applying everywhere. So, um, you know, I guess in, in OBGYN, you just sort of applied regionally. So say I wanted to stay in the Southeast, so I mainly applied to those programs. And then, you know, if I got too many interviews, you know, if you got more than 10 or so, you just canceled some of them and you just went to the ones you're most interested in. And that's really not the way it works in dermatology. You, <laughs> you applied as many programs as you can, you take as many interviews as you can, and you kind of make it work. So it was a very strange um, process having gone through both matches and just how different they are. Um, the other challenge was when you do a residency, uh, there's Medicare funding involved. So Medicare covers, you know, they, they provide funding for essentially like one residency per person. So if you go past your PGY one year, so say you complete a PGY two year, you essentially 
um, for lack of a better term, use up your funding. So mm. if you go to a second residency uh, after that point, um, Medicare doesn't provide funding to the hospital for you. Um, so you can't go to a program where they don't have additional funding options for you. Um, so for dermatology especially, they I basically looked through every single website for every single residency program because many of them, I would say the majority of them, tell you not to even bother to apply if you've gone past your PGY one year. So that automatically eliminated a lot of programs for me. Um, and then just because you're a non-traditional applicant, uh, you know, the match rates are just inherently lower um, for, you know, obvious reasons. Most programs, I think, prefer to take uh, med students, you know, right out of med school and not people who have had a different career in medicine. So I think the funding piece made it challenging, too. So it's... Um, it's not something I, I recommend everyone do. And <laughs> um, it was it was really uh, it was really interesting. It was it was an it was a unique experience to have and it, it made me appreciate how difficult it is for those med students applying for really competitive specialties. And it's also difficult on the selection end because you know you have so many more applications coming into review. We had over 400, I think, last year, and this year we had over 600 applications for four residency spots. So, you know, they have to weed people out somehow, and a lot of the programs will use filters. So if you don't even make a certain threshold on your score or, you know, they'll, they'll put different filters in. So um, I, my application, and you know, got filtered out automatically before any, you know, a lot of programs even looked at it. So I would say if anybody is considering switching fields, the main thing you really need to do is get to know your home program. Um, and that, that really goes for anything, you know, when you're applying for residency, uh, if they know you and they know you're a hard worker and you've impressed them, um, that's going to go further than someone who has a 10 minute interview and you're just looking at their application. That's, that's really interesting to hear just all the different obstacles you had to overcome to, to get to where you are now. And so now that you're on the other side of all that, let's talk a little bit about what you do uh, currently. So what does a typical week look like in your practice and what are the most common or even the most rare conditions that you, that you see and what procedures do you do? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because I was a surgeon as an OBGYN for, for a long time and uh, I really, really like dermatologic surgery. So some of you, you don't have to do surgery to be a dermatologist. You're going to get trained in it, but we do have a few dermatologists who choose not to do surgeries. Um, I choose to do actually extra surgeries um, because I really like it. So most of our dermatologists, if they do surgery, do say a half day, a week of that, um, excisions, um, electrodesiccation, curatage, um, mainly for skin cancers and atypical moles, melanomas. Um, I do a whole day on Monday. Um, so my, my full day on Monday is doing excisions and procedures. Uh, Tuesday mornings, a half day, I do my vulvar clinic. So that's my um, interdisciplinary specialty clinic um, with OBGYN, Dr. Deborah Bartholomew. Um, we have both OBGYN residents and, and dermatology residents in that clinic. 
Um, and we see mostly, I would say most commonly, we see lichen simplex chronicus, which is like a type of eczema in the genital area, lichen sclerosis, which is a genetic condition that causes thinning of the skin and itching um, in the genital area, sometimes loss of the, the labia and the architecture of the genital area, um, lichen planus, which is um, usually ulcerative. It's, it's um, painful ulcers in the genital area that can cause scarring. Um, and hydradenitis uh, separativa, um, which is uh, an inflammatory condition where patients get recurrent inflammatory nodules and scarring um, in the intertriginous areas. So a lot of times it'll involve the vulva. Um, those, so those are fairly common. Um, I would say, gosh, I mean, there are a lot of rare conditions in dermatology. Um, I would say things like pemphigoid, cicatricial pemphigoid, mucous membrane pemphigoid, some of the blistering diseases we do see sometimes in the genital area, but maybe not quite as commonly. Um, and then also skin cancers, unfortunately, especially for patients with untreated lichen sclerosis, they can get at uh, or higher risk for squamous cell skin cancers. So I do unfortunately occasionally see those arise um, within my lichen sclerosis patients. Um, so, you know, the rest of the week, Tuesday afternoon, um, all day Wednesday, I, I typically am just seeing general dermatology patients. So skin checks, uh, eczema, psoriasis, acne, warts, so sort of your bread and butter dermatology. Um, Thursday's a bit of a mix. It's mostly general dermatology, but then in the afternoon, um, every other Thursday, I do run a resident surgery clinic. Um, so basically the same as my surgery clinic, but the residents, the operator, and, um, you know, I observe and give them tips and kind of help them with their surgical skills. And then every other Friday morning, I do have a patch testing clinic. So I do allergic contact dermatitis. So, um, we do patch testing, um, to see what the culprit is in these patients who have really severe pruritic, um, dermatitis. Um, and then, for instance, you know, say someone's reacting to a preservative in their shampoo, um, we patch test them and it shows up as a positive. Um, we have these little chambers filled with allergens and they wear them for 48 hours and then they take them off. And on day five, I read. And if it's raised in red in one of the areas, I know that they're allergic to that substance. And then we look in their products. So say it was a preservative um, to see which product it's in. And then we um, give them a safe list of products and tell them how to avoid it. So can really be life-changing for those patients. And it's um, usually a service that's mostly available um, only at academic centers. So um, we get a lot of referrals from around Ohio and the surrounding region. So um, it's a good, it's a good week. Uh, it's a, a lot of variety. And uh, most of our faculty have um, one day of academic time where you, you know, write your lectures, you know, catch up on charting, things like that. And so um, I do kind of shorten my day on some on some of those weeks that I have patch testing so that I, I get my full day of academic time too. Yeah, it sounds like pretty much your whole week is dermatology-based practice. So I'm wondering, um, do you ever follow uh, some of your patients from your previous OBGYN practice at all? Do they come to the vulvar clinic as needed? Or what has come of your OBGYN practice as of now? Yeah. So, well, interestingly enough, um, so I, my practice was, it was a private practice. There were three of us, um, general OBGYNs and 
we practice, we did deliveries only at Grant. So it was through Ohio Health. And I do get referrals from Ohio Health, but that didn't, in general, just because of insurances, most people uh, don't cross over between the two health systems. So um, people didn't necessarily follow me. My patients didn't necessarily follow me. Um, and that practice actually ended up closing. Um, the physician who owned it ended up retiring. And then um, the other physician became a medical director at Molina. So now it's become a family practice over by Grant Hospital. Um, but yeah, I do get referrals from my former colleagues. Um, I think a lot of them, uh, a lot of the OBGYNs I worked with at Grant were excited to hear that I was pursuing a specialty uh, in vulvar dermatology. And then they do send me quite a few patients. So um, I actually do still interface with um, some of my old colleagues and um, I'll get a lot of uh, invitations to lecture um, from a lot of the former residents I worked with and some of the faculty. So that's that's been kind of nice to still be able to um, interact with the OBGYN community here. Yeah, that's great. And I'm, I'm kind of curious about the the need for more gynecologic dermatologists in the future. Do you think that fellowship programs within vulvar and gynecologic dermatology will be established in the future or uh, any advice for students who might pursue a career similar to what you have now? Yeah. You know, I think uh, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, in my experience from running this clinic with Dr. Bartholomew, um, I really thought it was going to help to have two of us and that, you know, I was going to, we were going to improve the weight for these patients. Um, unfortunately, I think it's just increased referrals to the point where uh, it's still about a six-month wait to get in as a new patient in our clinic. So it's, I mean, it's a huge need. Uh, there are some states that don't have anybody that do it. Uh, you know, I don't know, the closest one to here might be, um, I don't know that there's really anybody in Cincinnati that has a big interest in it, but I, you know, there's a, a big center at Northwestern in Chicago. So it's it's usually major academic centers. So if there actually was someone who had an interest, I mean, there's there's a huge need for people who want to see these patients. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a specialty clinic. Um, you know, patients are going to come to you as a general dermatologist for all dermatology needs. But if you happen to be good at it, you know, they'll find you. So I get searched up all, online all the time. Um, if you want to do it, I think, at least for me, I'm a big on-the-job learner. I like to see things that, you know, I learn from seeing things. I learn from my patients. So I would suggest anybody who has an interest, just spend some time with someone who does this as a special a specialty. So um, for me, what I did is I did an elective with Libby Edwards, uh, Dr. Libby Edwards out in Charlotte, North Carolina. And she's, she's very well known in the dermatology and gynecology community. Um, as a specialist, she's been practicing for a very long time and sort of like me, most of her week is spent doing general dermatology, but she does like half day or a day a week does, um, vulvar dermatology and she's in really high demand. So I spent two weeks, um, out there with her as an elective and, and learned a lot, you know, just even looking at photos and talking with her about cases. And she actually scheduled extra patients for me that week that, you know, on days she wouldn't maybe necessarily see vulvar dermatology. She made a special effort to bring more of those patients in. So just, um, just hearing how she counsels patients, even, you know, she let me have some of her handouts for patients, which I utilize, you know, just 
you know, and I think I, I wasn't sure when I first got out, um, you know, how the specialty clinic would go. But like I said, you learn from your patients and you learn from doing. So you're going to get better as you as you practice. And that goes for really any specialty. The, the more you see, the more you learn. Um, but just getting together with an expert and spending some time, you know, looking at their handouts, seeing how they counsel patients. I, I think that's that's going to be really important for anybody who's interested. Yeah, I appreciate that insight. And to wrap up, I've got a few final questions here. So um, the first of which is now that you're uh, an attending who's basically gone through uh, training in two different specialties, what would you say to your past self in medical school? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. You know, I don't think I don't think that I could be good at what I do necessarily having done it any differently. Uh, that, that may sound really funny, um, but I, I don't think I would change anything, honestly. Um, you know, I feel really comfortable doing genital exams. It's, you know, it's just what I did for so long. So uh, I, I'm really comfortable knowing what's normal, what's abnormal. So that those basic things kind of I had in hand. And then just spending three years learning dermatology and seeing dermatology and seeing patients and um, learning to visually recognize things and knowing what things look like under the microscope um, just added that next level for me. So, you know, in the end, in the beginning, I thought Dr. Zyrus is crazy. <laughs> and in the end, I'm thinking, wow, he's a genius. Um, because, you know, it's, I just don't think that I would be good at what I do had I not been through both experiences. Now, not to say that anybody can't you know, that other people can't do it. You just kind of have to get all the clinical experience and just get comfortable seeing things. So I would just say, uh, carry on and (laughs) you'll get there, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. That's great advice for, for, for all of us, uh, you know, regardless of what specialty we apply to and regardless of what stage of, of training we're in. And so, um, what last advice do you have for applicants to dermatology in general? So, a piece of advice for a preclinical med- medical student, a piece of advice for a clinical med student, and um, additional advice, say, for someone who's in the middle of their PGY-1 year or even beyond PGY-1, say they want to consider a career change into dermatology. Yeah, so I think the big thing is, and even if people, you know, even if it's someone who's listening who decides not to do dermatology, but maybe they decide on a different specialty or another competitive specialty, you, you need to get involved early. Um, so show interest early. You know, we have students approaching us in their first year of medical school, um, you know, get involved in research. It doesn't even have to be anything, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a huge longitudinal project. You know, you can do case reports and, and reviews and you, you learn a lot about the specialty. I did a, a review on contraception, the dermatologist, and then I did another one on, um, dermatologic medications in pregnancy. And I learned a lot just writing those papers. So if you're really interested, that's a way to get involved and then show your dedication. Um, You know, what you don't want to do is, you know, approach someone, say you want to do a project and then not follow up on it. But those, those students who are really dedicated and do a great job and follow up and show us early on that they're that they are really interested in dermatology, those are those people are going to be really successful. Um, when they do apply. 
Um, I would say clinical, uh, get to know people, uh, you know, when you're in your clinical years, spend time, you know, if you have extra time to spend in dermatology, go spend extra time with us, you know, meet all of the, meet all the physicians, um, meet the residency director, meet the, the chairperson of the department, you know, get, get some face time with people, show your knowledge, show your interest, show your dedication. You know, those people that we know are, are very serious and, uh, and, and have the ability to show clinical knowledge early on, you know, they're going to be very successful in dermatology. Um, you know, and I think the same thing goes for, say you're in a PGY one year or you're in a PGY two year and you think you might want to switch to something, uh, you really have to find a way to get FaceTime, um, you know, do some research, do, do some papers, do some reviews. You got to get in and get involved um, because if you just sit back and rely on your application, you know, that's, that's not going to get you very far. But if people know who you are and they know you do a good job and they say, you know, I worked with this person and, you know, they always uh, worked hard. They always got the paper done. You know, they always came through. They were very impressive. They have a lot of clinical knowledge. Um, those are the people who are really going to be successful um, when they apply. Yeah. So it's always uh, who you know and what you know, not, not just <laughs> what you know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, because it's, you know, now with it being so competitive, there's so many applications and they're all so good, right? So, um, but I, you know, I say, you know, I worked with Grace and she, wow, she just was fantastic in clinic and she was so helpful and she did that review paper and it was really great and it got accepted to the the JAD, our top journal, you know, that's going to go further than, wow, this patient, this person has a great application, but I don't really know them and I don't know their dedication to dermatology. Yeah, that's helpful to know for sure. And um, totally not on the topic of dermatology or applications. Okay. I have a bonus question for you. Um, so I saw, <laughs> I saw on your um, profile on the Wexner Medical Center website that a couple of your hobbies are playing the piano and violin. And I myself play the piano. I used to play the violin when I was a very, very, very little kid. Okay. Um, what, what <laughs> um, like I'm, I'm just a huge fan of, of music in general. So what are your favorite things to play on the violin and piano? Oh, so yeah, it's funny. You know, I actually don't have a piano anymore. <laughs> it's, oh, okay. it's one of those instruments, you know, you leave your parents' house and then you you move around and you don't take it with you. So uh, I can play still, um, but I don't, um, that was kind of my secondary instrument. Um, I actually started violin when I was five and uh, I started with Suzuki and classical and then actually um, took some fiddle lessons and did some fiddle competition um, when I was uh, in my early and, and late teens. So I actually really enjoy playing, um, playing some fiddle when I get a chance. <laughs> Nice. So, nice. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. So I, uh, Orange Blossom Special, uh, a show from Farewell. Those are fun. But uh, occasionally I'll pull out the old Vivaldi or something like that. Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and, and try to try my hand at it. So. I love I love a good fiddle tune. I, <laughs> I never never learned how to play it. I was it was all just it was all just classical for me. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, can't really fit a piano in your pocket, but you can take your violin wherever. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I've got a couple. And then I, I, I convinced my son to, to start bass lessons, which oh, okay. is great unless you're the bass mom who has to carry it everywhere. So gotcha. um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, not easy to, it's not as easy to transport either. So if people are asking me, 
to determine to choose, I would say definitely violin's easier to, to pack around. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you guys name your instruments at all? Um, sometimes. I don't know that my son's given his a name. Uh, my violin's name is Fred. Nice, nice. <laughs> it's a random choice, but you know, he I think he likes it. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> well, Dr. Tyler, it was a pleasure having you on the Diga podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Diga podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to dermintrustpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.